Hello, dark fantasy and horror fans. My name is Jess, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. You've been listening to The Girl in the Corn by Jason Offit, which Publishers Weekly describes as an unholy mashup of creepy, high-body-count paranormal thrills. Today, we have the author with us here for a virtual chat about his book. And Jason, I'm so excited to chat with you. I am so happy to be back yes, with you. Round this, two. This, this is fun. Yes, I'm so excited to have you back again. You're our first repeat offender. Uh, Gabe and I were joking before. You didn't have to write a whole other book just to get back on our show. You could have just called. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, could have could have just could have just called. Could have, yeah, I, I could have, but you know what? I was writing one anyway. So yes. Why not? <laughs> I know. And now you've got more things that uh, more books that you can tell us about while you're here this time, too. Um, but before we get into anything, obviously, we got to hear a little bit about you in general last time. But what have you been up to since we saw you last? Oh, I've been writing the sequel to The Girl in the Corn. And uh, <laughs> I got it finished this, uh, I think it was July when I when I got it finished. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I started. I mean, the girl in the corner came out in January, and I was asked to do a uh, to do a sequel. So I'm like, absolutely, I would love to. Yeah. Um. So spoiler: this is why I didn't kill the main character off in the first book, like I wanted to, but uh, my editor said, "Don't do that." <laughs> so here we go. I killed a lot of other people. A lot of other people. <laughs> a lot of other people. A lot of other people. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I got that done and I'm right now about 26,000 words into my uh, next horror novel, which is, is unrelated to the girl in the corn. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm very excited to see where you go with that one. And I'm very excited for the sequel. It definitely felt like a nice looming end with the, uh, the pregnancy and the, you know, everything just kind of feeling a little bit unresolved, but it, in a way that just makes you excited to read the next one. So very excited to see uh, what comes of the sequel. Um, we talked a little bit the last time you were here about, so you had to build a time machine, your other book, which is a very different vibe than this horror, dark fantasy. So what made you choose to write this Style. What's your connection to this kind of horror genre? Oh, I, 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 I like to try a lot of different things. Um, uh, with my nonfiction books, I, I, I wrote some uh, paranormal, uh, paranormal books. Uh, I had always wanted to write a humorous travel log, so I drove to Canada and wrote about all my, uh, you know, all my adventures on on the way. And I just, I've always loved horror, be it uh, reading horror. I mean, I, oh. Uh, as a kid, I read uh, all of H.P. Lovecraft. I read Robert E. Howard's horror stuff uh, and then got into Stephen King. So I've been a big uh, Shirley Jackson and all those all those greats. And uh, I've just been a huge fan of that and horror movies. And I'm like, I want to try that. Yeah. And it was so much fun writing a horror novel. <laughs> Well, you mentioned that you had your Canada adventures that you were writing about. Is that uh, what inspired your book? Is is there some sort of connection between Canada and dark fantasy fairies and corn? Oh, no, no. <laughs> well, what, what, what it was is uh, we had a world map on our wall. Uh -huh. When you walk into our house, there's this world map on the wall. And my wife said, wow, it makes us look smart. But uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, I was looking at it one day and I'm like, okay, so here's my town. Canada is like a centimeter and a half away <laughs> from the town where I live. So okay. I looked up and uh, the, the highway, the rural highway that goes through uh, our town uh, went all the way to Fort Francis, Ontario. And I'm like, this would be a great idea for a travel book. Let's just drive up US 71 and see what's there waiting for me. Yeah. So okay. there was no connection with horror. And then it just kind of took shape and you said it's another horror or is this a different, completely different story? Oh no. Humorous, humorous. Uh, it, it's, it's a humor travel log. Got yeah. it. Oh, very cool. Well, I feel like all of the things that you say, just your voice comes uh, across so clearly in your writing. So I feel like there's always a little bit of that dark, even, you know, here it was a little of the dark humor in addition to all of the horror scary big thing yeah oh my gosh yeah i mean i i can't i can't help it i mean i love dark <laughs> comedies uh I, I tend to make jokes out of every situation so i'm really fun at funerals yeah oh, no. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure that's uh, it's just a super fun time <laughs> when you're uh involved and in, <laughs> in precarious situations so then what was your inspiration for the girl in the corn if not your canada travels well, what? Yeah, Girl in the Corn came through. Uh, came came to me because my youngest, who is seven, um, at the time when the idea came to me, she was watching. We'd just gotten Disney Plus, and she was watching all of the Tinkerbell movies. <laughs> okay, and uh, having written a number of uh, par uh, paranormal themed uh, books. Uh, you know, I've studied a lot about fairy lore and fairies are not Tinkerbell. Right. <laughs> the fairies of, no, not, not at all. They are uh, mischievous at best, flat out evil at worst. And I wanted to write a book about bad fairies, you know, I sure. depict them as they actually are. And, and what I did is I, I picked uh, Norse fairies um, because they're particularly uh, uh, angry little critters. And uh, I, I set it in uh, in Missouri um, in on a farm because you know what that's where I grew up in Missouri on a farm. So uh, my mom always told me to stay out of the cornfield because you <laughs> never know what's in there. And so of course I played in the cornfields all the time. But uh, <laughs> of course, um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good creepy warning, and I kind of wanted to 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 use that as as a theme for the girl in the corn. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, they were it was north fairy stories that you based your fairies in here off of why did you choose that in particular was it just because it added to the kind of the type of whimsy mischievous vibes that well, you wanted it added, to portray or yeah yes uh but more toward much like the norse themselves mm. you didn't want to tick off a norse fairy uh <laughs> so i i wanted I, I wanted to have that looming over the the whole the whole book, uh, and uh, besides the, all the Norse names that I used are just fun to see on paper. Sure, I honestly yeah. don't know how to I don't know how to pronounce ancient Norse words, but damn, they look great. Yeah. So then, in listening to the audio book, were you like, oh, okay, that's surprising. Yeah. That's not how I imagined it would be pronounced, but great. <laughs> Right, right. No, the same, the same. I'm like, okay, yeah, this, no, wow, <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's a cool way to pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, some of the other authors I've talked to have mentioned a little bit about hearing their books really come to life when you mm-hmm. are hearing the audiobook, and it's like, oh, that's so nice. You know, hearing my own words said back to me, I didn't even realize how great they sound. Did you kind of have a similar experience? A, a bit, a bit. You know, it's and it's and it's like when I go back back and read something that I haven't read, um, reread for a long time, and I'm like, man, that's that's kind of good. <laughs> I did that. Yeah, so it was it was the same hearing, you know, hearing somebody uh, speaking my own words back to me. That that was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that was really fun. Um, so having all of this, you know, kind of background in horror and this, you said, you know, the Norse fairies kind of knowledge that you've had to acquire to write this book. What other things did you have to study in order to get this, uh, I mean, it, it's really all sorts of things. You've got the dark fantasy aspect. You've got the, um, you know, the heart. I mean, there, there are just so many different elements here. What kind of things did you have to study to get them all to mesh together? Okay, so the 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 farm aspect, the the main character. This the the, the book follows uh, a young boy named Thomas Cavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's five years old, maybe, or is it six? I wrote this two years ago, but I'm pretty sure it's five <laughs> or six at the beginning of the book and follows him through uh, his life and until um, his late, late twenties uh, when, when the, the book ends and um, he was raised on a farm. I didn't have to look up that stuff because right. again, I grew up on a farm. So, and, and um, I, I put it in Northwest Missouri, which is where I live. So I didn't really have to study that. However, the, um, Buchanan County Sheriff's Department uh, plays fairly heavily in this. And although I have a really good working knowledge of how sheriff's departments do things, uh, because I was a uh, print journalist for 17 years and I covered uh, all sorts of law enforcement uh, from sheriff to highway patrol to FBI, that sort of thing. So I, I, I already had a background, but I wanted to make sure I had it absolutely perfect. Because if a sheriff's deputy is reading my book, hopefully some have, uh, I don't want them to read something that's not accurate and get upset. Right. Because as soon as, as soon as an author writes something that's inaccurate, the, uh, I mean, they lose the reader. Right. Well, I remember that you had said uh, when we did So You Had to Build a Time Machine how important it felt to feel like whatever place that you set your story in, people who were from that place or people who knew that place could go back and, and be like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what uh, the place is that they're talking about, that this person's talking about. Um, right. So, right. I, I even with, with, so you had to build a time machine. Yeah. You know, somebody uh, whose husband was, she got a hold of me and her husband was reading it. And he was like, I know where that place is. Oh my gosh. I've eaten at that restaurant. Right. And, and, you know, so having, you know, the, the descriptions of where things are um, is, 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 is really vital. Just, journalism background get your facts straight yeah oh that makes a lot of sense but it's really cool that you were able to draw so much from your real life and then you know kind of fill in maybe the gaps of your knowledge with these little supplemental research projects but that's so interesting I I didn't even think about I mean I've talked to a couple of people who've written like thrillers that involve police departments or you know the FBI FBI or whatever um but Every time I'm always surprised to, to really think about, oh, there's a lot of 
police procedural things that you have to be pretty intimately familiar with in order to mm-hmm. write that clearly. So that it's so interesting to hear. Yeah, that is something I wouldn't think to ne- necessarily give attention to if I were writing a, a, a book where they were really heavily featured. But you do need to do your proper research to do due diligence to that. So that's really cool. Right. So, yeah, if I was going to uh, uh, to write a book and, a, and an airplane pilot was a main character, I would have to extensively interview pilots about about how things are done, because, again, I don't want somebody who knows knows or who is a pilot to, to, to read what I've written and uh, completely discount the rest of my book because I did something stupid. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You want to, to appeal to your audience, which if you were writing a book about a pilot, if since you're writing a book that police officers are heavily, uh, or at least sheriff, the sheriff department is uh, really heavily featured, you want them to feel like this book is for them too. <laughs> well, in the uh, the Girl in the Corn, Corn sequel, um, I've, I've got a nurse in there. And uh, so I cleared a lot of things through my, my oldest kid, uh, who is, who's an RN in Houston. And so I wanted to make sure that uh, everything medical that I was throwing out there is, is accurate as well. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So you had to do a lot, a good amount of research then to, to really get all of the, the full picture. Right. I mean, it would be nice if I had, uh, you know, neighbors who were that, uh, <laughs> who had that speciality, you know, living next door to to the corner. Hey, Jim, talk to him over the fence. Hey, Jim, uh, what? How long does it take for a human body to start smelling? Yeah. After they die, and hey, what does it smell like? What would you? What would it smell like if you boiled a person? Or if you have a monster with copious amounts of human teeth, what would that? What would that be like? <laughs> what? The, what would that be like? Right. Right. <laughs> it would be fun to have neighbors who you could just chat about those things very casually with. I've got, if I ever write about a fast uh, character in a fa- working in a fast food place, my, my neighbor across the street uh, owned a franchise of a, of a taco place. So I, I've got that down. Perfect. <laughs> well, I, it's so funny just hearing you talk now. It feels like you have these ideas that come to you really naturally. So as far as your writing process goes, we talked a little bit about how you did it for, so you had to build a time machine um, where it was just you were writing and you were just kind of keeping in mind, oh, okay, here's a loose end I'm keeping open right now. I'm going to tie that back in later. But obviously you had the time jumping, time traveling element and universe jumping element in there, which you had to always, you know, tie back in the end. So how did you, what was your process like for this one? As far as uh, were you once again, just kind of writing and letting the story fill in for itself or were you planning a little bit more since it wasn't necessarily time jumping all over the place? Uh, I'm, I'm a pantser. <laughs> uh, I, I can't, I, I'm, I, I can't sit there and plot, but, but what I do is I, I look ahead and, and see what needs to be done. Does this question need to be answered now? And I will make notes uh, on, on a file that, this section is going to be about, uh, you know, the sheriff handling this issue. This next section is going to be about the main character running into this bad guy. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't really outline, but every chapter I, I, I know exactly where I'm going. And yeah, I, I, I know I just, I see to my pants. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, after, I mean, 17, I'm a, again, I was a journalist for 17 years right. and I, 
brain got kind of trained to keep all the facts straight and put them in the right places for news stories. So, I mean, it's really helping me out writing fiction as well. Yeah, I'm sure in many ways, I having that background and, you know, journalism specifically, I feel like is such a cool, well-rounded thing to be able to take into this field because you have to know how to do research. You have to know how to address your sources and, and do your due diligence on that side and then write a story that's interesting and intriguing to people. Do you feel like there are other ways that your background as a journalist has helped you as a writer? Well, it's writing all the time. You know, I spent almost two decades, uh, five, five to six days a week, writing a couple of news stories, interviewing people, writing the stories. So my writing improved uh, as a journalist because in journalism, you've got to cut out the fat. You can't have extraneous words. You just have to, the sentence says what it says. So it, it improved the quality of my writing. Uh, and, it, and it also, I think, because um, I've had people ask me about what, what do I think one of the best parts of my writing is, and I think it's dialogue, because I spent so much time interviewing people, having conversations with people that I know how people talk and not just, you know, somebody I run into at the coffee shop, but I've entered, you know, interviewed farmers, bankers, doctors, uh, college professors, you know, mayors and, uh, and, and, and a lot of police officers. So I, I've got a pretty good handle about how, how they all, all, uh, all, all talk. So, I mean, dialogue, I love writing it because of that. Sure. Do you have a favorite interview that you've ever done or an interview or interviews that you feel like inform a lot of the way that you write? Uh, well, I tell you, um, one of the, one of the characters in, uh, in the girl in the corn is, um, Sheriff Donnelly. And I based him on the first, uh, sheriff that I covered as, as a reporter. And oh, he's wow. just plain spoken and every once in a while drops a curse word here or there. And uh, yeah, I think that that sheriff really, really influenced uh, a certain style of, uh, of character. Sure. And I've got, I, I still remember my, uh, the, the guy's best quote, but uh, it has a curse word in it. So I'm going to let that slip, let that we pass. can We can bleep it. Really? Sure. Okay. So uh, it's, it's one of my one of the first stor stories I was interviewing him for. Uh, it was a crime, and this guy peeled out. Um, and and I asked, I'm the sheriff. I asked the sheriff, well, why do you think he did that? And the sheriff looked at me like I was a, an absolute idiot and said, "Because <laughs> he's an asshole." <laughs> I mean, I like that. That it, it was just brief and to the point. It's here yep. is the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yep, that's and that funny. was his answer. That was terrific. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I get it. That I, and I definitely see how that personality is portrayed in Sheriff Donnelly as well. Like that very mm -hmm. to the point. Like, here's the answer to your question, and I'm going to say it in this way that's kind of tells you everything that you need to know about me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. Really I, I I loved writing. I loved writing him. He was a he was a really fun character. Yeah. Well, I can see also, you know, you said that dialogue is really fun for you to write and really important to your characters. And so much can be portrayed about a character through just the things that they say. And I think that that was something that was really well done in this book, too, was just even you didn't have to explicitly say 
what they were thinking behind what they were saying. You could just kind of tell in the way that they were talking. Uh, right. Well, not just the way they're talking, but but uh, their actions that came before the dialogue or, or right after the dialogue. Right. What did they do? What was the look on their face? Did they, you know, did they shrug? Um, you know, what those things, I think, uh, helped quite help quite a bit, too. I, sure. I try... <sighs> And this comes with character descriptions and, um, and, 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 you know, with the dialogue like that, I don't want to tell my reader very much. I want to show them as much as I possibly can. And I also like to leave some, uh, leave some room for them, the, the reader to, to craft the story in their head as they're reading. Mm. I want them to be able to, uh, to picture it. Uh, sometimes they have to fill in the blanks, which I think, gives them some ownership on my on my book sure well i think that's what a lot of people love about reading is they're following your story but it's their internal movie that they get to watch uh so Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that i love the most about reading so it's very fun i like that you um have this kind of philosophy i feel like we've talked about before with so you had to build a time machine too where you are kind of guiding the reader through this whole process so that's really a really fun way to look at it as you're writing, I'm sure. How do you keep that in mind as you're writing? Oh, that's a great question because I don't have an answer. I just do it. Probably I mean, just the, the, years of experience. <laughs> yes, the writing process is such a mystery. I mean, there are times, and, and when I talk to non-writers about this, they're like, okay, Um <laughs> You know, I could have just be doing that and it, it would make as much sense as me talking. But um, I just sit down and put my fingers on the keyboard and things happen. Right. The The thought process is when I go back to edit, you know, I can show this a little bit better. I can make the, the reader feel this a little bit more. But when it comes to, you know, writing the action, writing the, the dialogue, it just comes out. Yeah, that whole like, from your brain directly to your fingertips kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is one of the reasons that I'm, I'm a pantser is because of the fact that I want to discover the story as the reader discovers, discovers it. Hmm. Okay. I don't want to have the whole book planned out because I know how it ends. I know what happens to the characters in the meantime. If I just sit down and write and I'm like, I didn't know my main character was going to do this. <laughs> This is great. I'm glad he <laughs> thought of that because I sure didn't. Oh, that's so funny. It's um, I love that this whole idea that the story kind of tells you how it wants to be told. It mm-hmm. reminds me of something um, Elizabeth Chatsworth, we were talking to her a couple interviews ago, and she was saying how she kind of watches each movie scene by scene. And, like, she has a general idea of, how, like, what's going to happen at the end. But the story, you know, she she's watching the movie along with the rest of the audience. So... It's very yeah. fun that you get to be surprised by what your own brain comes up with. <laughs> yeah, I know it. That doesn't make any sense, really, does it? But uh, I get. I mean, it 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 does to me. No, I think it's great. I think, yeah. like you said, everyone's writing process has been so wildly different yeah. that we've talked to, and it's so fun for me to hear. Oh, I really don't know the answer to that question because it's just mm-hmm. something that's so innate, and you don't even think about it. So right, that's really right. fun. And, and because I mean. <sighs> I've 
most of the people that I follow and that follow me on Twitter are, are authors or editors or agents, just people involved in the publishing industry. Sure. And whenever uh, younger writers are, are asking for advice, um, it's kind of hard. I mean, I, I will give the advice uh, the way I see it, but it's hard for the specifics because everybody has their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I tell people what works for me. But that doesn't mean it's going to work for them because there are people who are extremely successful. They make an outline and then they go go through it and make a more detailed outline. Then they go through it and make a more detailed outline sure. until all they have to do is basically fill in the blanks. Uh-huh. And I think that would be hor- horrendous for me. I couldn't do that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everybody, yeah, everyone's process, like I said, has been so wildly different. So it's so fun to hear, oh, I'm a very organized planner and I know exactly how I'm going to put this here and I'm going to do this here. And then the people who are like, I'm just letting the story tell me how it goes. And as I'm writing, I'm surprising myself. So it's very fun to hear both ways because as someone who isn't a writer, I just find that to be so enjoyable to hear all about how how different the processes are. Yeah, and, well, and, and it depends on a lot of things, you know, mood. It depends on what music that I have on. I like to listen to music while I uh, while I write. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, I mean, because if I'm writing uh, a battle scene or a fight, somebody's just fighting, somebody's getting murdered, uh, I'll put on some uh, ACDC or Iron Maiden. Okay. Uh, if, I'm write- if I'm writing something more calm, uh, I'll drop in some, uh, it's an old old San Diego band from back in the eighties called the beat farmers. I I'll listen to them and they're a lot of fun. So it, it, it helps with, it helps with the mood. I love that. That's such a cool idea. It really inspires the kind of drive that you have behind it. I know there are certain songs that I like will come on the radio or that I'll play on my playlist. And I'm like, Oh, I could really easily see the battle scene that plays to this music. Mm -hmm. And it's different too, depending on the music. Um, well, I think it was an X-Men movie. Um, but it was a relatively recent one in that I think it came out in maybe like 2012. It's the one with Evan Peters' Quicksilver when they have yeah. him. Do you know the one where um, they play the If I Could Put Time in a Bottle song as he's yeah. just running and everything else is just in so slow motion that it's stopped. And he's just going and, and very gently, casually, uh, you know, beating up his enemies. So right. Uh, that's kind of, I, I feel like depending on the mood of the music, you could always write uh, a battle scene or you could always write uh, a really interesting scene uh, and, and it, it completely be different based on the kind of background setting that you have in mind. So that's so fun that you use music as you're writing these to inspire the yeah, type of scene you're writing. Yeah. It, 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 it's a lot of fun. It does help. Again, it helps with mood. Um, I, I like to include uh, music in in my writing too. Um, right, for, so you had to build a time machine. Uh, one of the main characters, Brick, owns a muffin shop. Right. And and so, but they're in this other other world, and uh, he's a big Dungeons and Dragons guy. So he's fighting these orcs, and this other character, Cord, is terrified, and so he's sitting there in shock, singing, "Do you know? So you know the Muffin Man." <laughs> because the muffin man is slaughtering these creatures and, right yeah, yeah it's like that comfort song as he's like cowering mm. in the corner trying to you know come back down right. to earth <laughs> 
Um, and in the meantime, you've got Brick just like bashing heads in. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Uh, that, that was fun. Well, and in, in the, the Girl in the Corn, um, I wanted to show at, at the beginning uh, about the time period, but but also something about the mother. So while she's uh, in the in the garden pulling weeds, she's singing. Uh, I had her singing a Whitney Houston song. Right. And then during the editing process, it was like, well, crap, we, we'd have to get rights to that. Mm. So instead, uh, instead of using that, I wrote a 1980s bubblegum pop song. <laughs> and and use the lyrics lyrics from that but that really um you know i mean music not just helps with my mood while i'm writing i think it helps set the mood also in uh in in, in the fiction sure well okay so you talked a little bit about so you had to build the time machine and and the way that music kind of helped you write that and inform that story versus this one. Are there other similarities and differences being that they're such wildly different books between the way that you wrote both? Oh, I just, there's similarities in, in the way I wrote them because my writing is, I mean, I, I've programmed myself at a certain time of the day. I sit down at this computer in this office, um, with the same drink, same lighting. Um, yeah. And I just write. Right. And, um, so, and I, it just comes out. Uh, I, 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 it's just right at the writing process is tough to talk about because sure. again, I don't have, don't really have, have answers. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I also feel like yeah. when it's your own work too, it's kind of funny, weird to think, oh, well, you know, it, it's all coming out of you. So there's the similarities in that it is you and your voice and your writing style, but different in that they're completely different stories and completely different genres. And uh, so I can see that that, yeah, like, of course they're similar. They're both yours, but just yes. so different. Well, and, and with, there is, because you mentioned before that there's, there's uh, my brand of humor. I have dark mm -hmm. humor. And, and so you had to build a time machine. I specifically went a little over the top. I wanted it to be funny, a funny science fiction uh, with the girl in the corn. It's still there because I can't stop myself, right. <laughs> but I tried to make it, tried to make it a little bit more natural for the characters, something they would say in a given situation. Sure. Cause a lot of times in a, in a tense situation, somebody's going to drop a joke that other people are going to be like, Oh God, I can't believe that you said that, <laughs> but that's normal. <laughs> and I, and I want my characters to a, a appear as normal as possible. Yeah. Well, it was so again, something we talked about, I think for, so you had to build the time machine. It made your characters so believable. It's something that really brought them to life. I want to switch gears for just a second because there was something you said earlier that really caught my attention about how so many of the people who follow you or who you interact with on Twitter are other people in the industry, other authors and publishers. Do you draw any inspiration from them or, or the way that they do things? Or is it just completely, you know, you and your process or, or do you feel like you've incorporated things that you've learned from them into your own process? It's, there is, there, there's some of that. Um, I, I don't, other than when somebody is asking a specific question about, about writing, uh, that's when I will, will talk about, about the process. Most of the time I'm just saying smart ass things, uh, <laughs> you know, to let anybody who's following me know me a little bit more as, as, as a person. Sure. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, no, no, I've, 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 I've listened to quite a bit. I mean, I've read quite a bit and, uh, 
and and I hope I've gleaned something from people. The the yeah. the one thing that that I've given over and over and over that I hope somebody's gleaned from me is the fact that it doesn't matter your level of writing. It doesn't matter necessarily the quality is important, but not giving up is the best writing advice that I can give anybody because am I, am I better than other people as, as a writer? I don't know. All I know is I'm too stupid to give up. I wrote my first novel right after I got out of college because everybody in my creative, creative writing classes always said, Oh, I'm I'm writing a novel. Okay. Let me see it. No, it's not done yet. Uh, I didn't want to be that person. So it took me two years, but I wrote the novel and it was absolute garbage, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I wrote it, but a lot of people who want to work, who want to get novels published, they don't even get that far. Sure. They write 10 or 15,000 words and just lose the handle on it. Uh, or if they do finish their novel and try and get it published and it never gets published, they're like, oh, I'm just not any good. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. Yeah. Try it again and again and again. And finally, it's going to get some of the best advice that I ever got. um, This was way before social media. As a young newspaper columnist, I wrote a letter to Dave Barry. Dave Barry is, uh, or he was, he doesn't do this anymore, but he was the um, Pulitzer Prize winning, which is the biggest journalism prize you can get, Pulitzer Prize winning humor columnist for the Miami Herald. And I wrote him wrote him a letter asking his advice. And he said, he's don't, don't get down on yourself because what you've written might be the most funny, best thing you that's ever. But if it doesn't hit an editor on the right day, if that editor didn't get enough sleep the night before, if he's hung over, if he hasn't had his coffee yet, he might reject it. Mm. So it's, it doesn't, it, the right writing getting published has more to do to do with luck than talent. Sure. Um, That's unfortunate, but it's there. Yeah. Well, it's all about how, how people perceive it. And as long as you feel confident in the thing that you're putting out, I think that that's, you know, that's what's most important is you feeling good about the things that you're saying. And it seemed like you were going to add something. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I was. It's just the other piece of advice that, that I give, and, and, and you talking about having confidence in what you do, that is important. But I didn't get – I didn't improve my writing until I realized that I, I sucked. Mm. Because I – in high school, I was the best writer I knew. In college, I knew I was the best writer in – my creative writing classes. Okay. I had this confidence, but it was misplaced. Hmm. And when I started working in journalism, I realized, Oh, wait a second. There's a lot of nuts and bolts to putting words together that I need to learn before I'm going to get good. So I kind of stink right now. (laughs) I've got to work hard to get better. And, and eventually uh, my writing got to the point to where people liked it. So uh, again, yeah understand that you're bad and can get better and then don't quit on your journey. Yeah. Those there there we go. Yeah. I mean, I think the two really play into each other where Mm -hmm. you always want to want to strive to get better, but recognizing that you have what it takes to do it. If you just keep going 
Um, are there times that you felt like you wanted to give up or is this time in getting into journalism kind of that moment for you where you thought, oh, okay, I need to get better. Or I need to, what is it uh, that saying? Or you need to either do the thing or you need to, to leave the thing and you're choosing to do the thing. Right. Uh, I believe it's poop or get off the pot. Probably. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's <laughs> what you were going for. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the, uh, the getting better took a long time, took a lot longer than I would have hoped. And I honestly, I guess, didn't realize what I was doing. Uh, I, did I almost quit? Yeah. There was a time to where I didn't write anything for an entire year. Oh, wow. Uh, I quit, quit working in newspapers and I bartended full time, which was a lot of fun, <laughs> but it didn't help my career later on, except for I can write about, I can have bartender characters. And be absolutely correct on, on how they do things. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I had four 10,000 word uh, starts to novels in, in a drawer in my desk. And I just, I couldn't do anything with them. And I'm just like, I'm spinning my wheels. And then finally, after a year of taking off, I started writing again and um, I, I had new wind and um uh, then I started getting things published outside of newspapers and, uh-huh. and uh, that, again, the confidence you mentioned, uh, it, it really helped me to keep going. Sure. Well, that's really cool. Really powerful. Um, at what point in your journey did you feel like you needed to take that break? And then what kind of sparked your interest in continuing? I, I'll sh- small town newspapers, and that's where I was, uh, have a high burnout rate because they don't have very many employees and the employees they do have have to do all the work. And I had, I was just done at that point. I was tired. I was done. I didn't want to go shoot pictures of parades anymore or interview the mayor about wastewater. (laughs) Uh, So again, I took that year off. And then after I took the year off, I went back to the newspaper industry and uh, I I viewed things a lot differently. Uh, I didn't, I, I was guilty and a lot of people are just taking their work home with them. And when I went back to working in newspapers, I didn't take my work home with me at all. And that gave me that breath, breath of fresh air that I really needed. And, and I still do that. I don't bring grading home from the university. I get everything <laughs> done before I come home. That's a good way to look at it. That's very smart. I have a lot of family members who are in teaching as well. Um, not at a university level, but, you know, elementary, middle, high school level. And they said that that's one of the, the biggest lessons that they've learned um, as teachers is to leave work at work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's so easy to, 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 to incorporate it into your private life that uh, you don't really realize how much weight it's putting on your shoulders until, you know, you get that point to where you're burned out. Sure. Well, then as uh, someone who, you know, you said you have your time of day that you go and you sit in your office and you write, do you you feel like that is kind of your work time that you leave at the computer? Or do you feel like because it's not necessarily, you know, the books that you've gotten published, once they're published, that is a source of income for you. But in the meantime, right, you're just kind of writing for yourself. So do you feel like that's taking your work home with you at all? Okay, first about the money if if an author is going to tell you that they write for the money, they're lying to you. 
Okay. And, and it's not, and it's not the money that I'm talking about. It's the fact that writers have something they have to get out, you know, whether it's emotional, whether it, whether it's mental, the reason we write to begin with is to get something it's very therapeutic, honestly, the writing process. So people write uh, not for money. I mean, the money's nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna pass uh, pass on a royalty check, but but I do it because I can't. I'm gonna use a double negative because I it, it's appropriate. I can't not write. I'm I'm, I'm absolutely compelled to. So to, to answer your question, yes. Uh, the, the few hours that I sit down and, and I try to get between one and uh, a thousand and, and 2000 words done a day. Um, if I don't, you know, that's okay. If I get 500 words, it's better than zero words. Uh, but when I'm done, I'm done actually sitting down and writing. However, the mind's still going. All right. I always, when I'm finished with my writing session, I don't ever completely bleed my head dry. So, so when I start writing the next day, I've got a place to start from. And, and that really helps, uh, helps me with writer's block. I don't ever have writer's block cause I always know where I'm going next, but, uh, writers can't distance themselves like you can from work. I'm always thinking about, you know, what's going to happen after this, what's going to happen after this, or, Oh, Hey, I saw a name in the credits of this movie. My wife and I were watching. That's a, I've never seen that first name before. I'm going to have to use that. Uh, even, even sitting around spacing off, staring out, you know, I got a, a tree right in front of my, my window here in my office. And I'm just sitting here and watching the squirrels go crazy. That's part of the writing process too. You know, just letting your mind go and it, and, and sometimes even sleep is really beneficial to the writing process. I dreamt an entire novella that when I woke up, I remembered everything and it ended up being like 23,000 words long. And I, I dreamt the whole thing. It was like, I wasn't even, you know, doing real writing because I already knew everything and it. Anyway, so yeah, everything's part of the writing process. By the way, the, the, the title of that work was Matriarchal Nazi Cannibals. I love that. <laughs> I know, it kind of gives away everything, but it's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, th that title in itself, I think, sure, maybe gives away a lot, but is so intriguing that it's one of those things you, you couldn't... Yeah. It, you couldn't take out a single part of that title and have the same emotional impact that you just had on saying. Right. No, it's all, gonna, it's all going to be there. All gonna right. Be there. That's fantastic. That is so fascinating that, you know, the way that you just continue to, to push and, and to keep writing as you, as you, you know, have that writer's brain going all the time. And, and I love that you said writers just have something they have to get out of themselves and, and that that's the way that they have to do it. Um, you, to switch gears a little bit, had mentioned movies and that you see sometimes names in movies that you're like, oh, that's a cool name. I'll have to use that in my next piece. Um, speaking of movies, what we've talked a little bit about this for, so you had to build a time machine, but if you had to cast characters maybe famous actors or people in your life or whoever to play the characters in the girl in the corn who would you cast oh i think daniel radcliffe would do great as uh thomas cavanaugh he does he has a great um 
um, American accent, uh, which so many British people have American accents and British accents from American people all sound stupid to me, but he, he, I, he, he can do that. Uh, cause Thomas Cavanaugh for the longest time doesn't know what he wants to do with his life and is just kind of wandering here and there through, through, through life. Uh, his, 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 what he does is kind of directed by, what uh, what the fairy does. So I think I think he would do great. Uh, as for oh the fairy herself. Oh my gosh. I haven't put I haven't thought about this. Uh, I think John Goodman would be a great Sheriff Donnelly. Ooh, okay. He does have that kind of gruff um, you know, the the same kind of energy that the uh well the sheriff has and the even that sheriff that you described earlier <laughs> mm-hmm. um that same yeah. kind of rough around the edges personality yeah i think he i think he would be he would be terrific yeah no that would be great and then do you see this being more of a movie or because there there's the sequel and because there are so many different moving parts would you see it as like a tv series more I think both of, of the books, uh, so you had to build a time machine and the girl in the corn, I think they would work a lot better as like a made for TV movie, you know, especially the time machine one. it'd probably be about six, seven parts, uh, girl in the corn, maybe, maybe four, four parts, but I think it would work better that way. Yeah. Well, they've definitely all got that kind of element of scenes too, where like you have in the, in the girl in the corn, You've got the young childhood life of Tommy Cavanaugh and then or Thomas Cavanaugh, and then you've got um, you know, him in the uh, the institution, and mm-hmm. then you've got the the scene with, well, just him and Jillian in the whole, you know, it, it feels like as you said, there are different parts that it's broken up into. So I yeah, I can see both. I can see really clearly as kind of uh, a a. a big long movie that kind of has these parts that it's broken into or even a show that's broken into like a limited series kind of thing. Right. Oh man. And I just thought Bobby, one of the villains, Bobby, I think um, if Toby Maguire were 20 years younger, mm. Toby Maguire think, in think... the Spider-Man era. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I think he would he would be a good Bobby. I could see that. Um, have you seen that new show, The Sandman? No, I haven't. I, I love Neil Gaiman's work, and uh, it's on my list. I just, I was trying to finish up The Boys first. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also have not seen it, but um, I've seen plenty of previews for it because it's on my list of things to watch. Okay. Uh, no, it, it's on my list, so I'll look for that, definitely. Definitely that same kind of like, you can't really tell if he's good or evil, but like you kind of know in your head the answer. Um, And then that kind of mysterious kind of blank and, you know, behind the eyes thing that I think Tobey Maguire also has. So it's perfect. Um, That's great casting. (laughs) Um, Well, before we kind of start wrapping up here, uh, what can you tell us about the sequel, or do you want to tell us anything about the sequel to The Girl in the Corn? Well, it's, uh, well, the, you, you mentioned a baby, yeah. Uh, 
Marguerite, uh, who shows up uh, about halfway through the girl in the corn, uh, has Bobby's child. But is it Bobby's child or is it the uh, the 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 cosmic villain's child? Uh, because we had uh, had had Jillian looking for something uh, out of the cosmic villain. Where is it? Is it with the baby? I don't know. Yeah, I do know. I totally know, but, uh, it's, um, it's, it's Thomas mostly coming out of a fog and realizing, uh, who the fairy really is deep down and, uh, and mayhem goes from there. Wow. Well, yeah, the, uh, the, the working title in my head is the smiling face because in the girl in the corn, we've got the, yeah, yeah. All of the teeth. <laughs> All the teeth. Yeah, wow. Well, I think that was the perfect little teaser that is going to get everybody very excited about you. So you don't have a title quite yet for um, No. For the not sequel. quite yet. I mean, I like I kind of like that one, but it could change between now and it it yeah, but now and whenever. Oh, I I like that. It's a little it's a little daunting and like the same way, I think there's a movie coming out now, and I've, again, only seen snippets of previews for it, but it's called Smile, and it's got that same kind of, like, demonic feel to it. Um, I so, haven't heard that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. yeah I've seen a lot of uh, mainly, like, bus benches with it on it, and then I think I very briefly saw an ad that was very menacing-seeming. Um, so... Oh, Gabe just said the trailer is amazing. So <laughs> good to know. Hey, I'll look it up. <laughs> we in this town of uh, twelve thousand people, we don't have many bus benches. That's fair. So, <laughs> that <yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> um, wow. Well, okay. Again, before we uh, wrap up, I've got the question that I always ask, and I believe I asked you last time too. So I'm curious if the question is, or if the answer is any different. Uh, what are you reading right now? Right now, uh, and I am doing this in uh, preparation for Stephen King's new novel, Fairy Tale. I'm reading one of his fantasies. I'm reading uh, uh, one he co-wrote with uh, Peter Straub, who just passed away, uh, The Talisman. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that one. Yes, and I'm, I'm about 500 pages into it, and there's a big chunk left to read. It is such a big book, but it's it's good. I'm enjoying it. Oh, cool. Okay, good to know. Well, before we sign off, how uh, how can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, all of these are the Jason Offit. Uh, www.jasonoffit. That's o f f u t t. dot com is is my website. So. Yeah, get a hold of me anywhere. I'd love to love to hear from uh, love to hear from my readers. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to see all that you are going to be doing in the sequel and all of the writings that you have coming up. Hopefully, as I said, I will get them across my desk at one point or another. And it was so great catching up with you. Thank you so much for catching for coming on. Oh yeah, it was terrific. It's been too long. Been too long. I'm so 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 glad to be on with you again. You know, if you just write more books, then we can have you back on. I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Jason. All right. Have a good day. You too. And to our listeners at home, you can find The Girl in the Corn 
in ebook, audiobook, and print formats on our website, camcatbooks.com. You can find Camcat Unwrapped on all major podcasting platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And make sure you follow us on social media at camcatbooks. Thank you so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me. My name is Jess, and I'll see you guys next time on Camcat Unwrapped.